Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Garingai and Daru people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. I'd also like to acknowledge Mana Whenua of Te Awa Kairangi Kitai, where I'm recording today. Hello, Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm improving. I have tea. I have Dr. Pepper. I forgot coffee, but that's okay. Beverage goblin. Yeah. <laughs> And I really like your mug. It's making me smile every time I see it. Oh, it's got a swear on it. But yes, it's got <laughs> lemon ginger tea in the it. Best. So lemon honey so ginger. Good. Mm. I made sleep time or sleep sleepy night tea or whatever. It, the tea tube sleepy time tea, whatever that is, for my daughter yeah. last night. So she could have a little cup of tea before bed. Because she was Cute. She's still feeling a little bit raw that we finished. We finished our Voyager marathon. So. Aww. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, she's like, what are we going to watch? There's, there's, it's never going to be the same. And I was like, oh, baby, I know. I know. It is never going to be the same. You can rewatch it again and again and again, though. That is also the beauty of it. This is true. And there's Star Trek Prodigy, which has Janeway's voice acting. And it's actually quite an interesting show. So we've watched a couple episodes of that. Like, kind of to taper her off. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wiener off it. Yes, exactly. Like, it's okay. There's so much more Star Trek. This is like a huge series. There's like hundreds and hundreds of episodes. So much content, honestly. I know. It's kind of great. Hey, what sparked joy for you this week? So I did something I've been meaning to do for 12 years and I made a cabinet. <laughs> we have, what? Yeah, we have a, a fireplace that is not useful like the chimney has been blocked off and it's been roofed over and it's basically just a hole that our cats like to climb up and also it's a hole where like dirty dusty things fall down um and so we've just had another cabinet in it for ages but i was like i want to make a bookshelf that like fits perfectly like you can slide it in and it looks like nothing else has ever been there uh, and i nearly managed um the only problem was that it was like a couple mils too big on one side so i have to take it apart and do it again so I'm really (laughs) pleased with it because it's like almost the right size um and I'm learning a lot as I'm doing it and like having to draw out plants it's really fun it's kind of fun to work in three dimensions but yeah it was that was good oh cool I have more to learn and I think I I think I need a table saw but (laughs) we'll see how we go um what sparked me for you this week well, I've had yeah, a very busy week, but I still managed to do a bunch of writing. So I'm working on the second draft Yay. of my novel, which is really interesting because I'm trying to do some really interesting things with it. So I got to do some cool little bits of writing. Mm. Um, yeah, it was it was good. It was fun. And it was like, I'm right on track because my new goal is to finish the second draft by end of October. So we're doing well. I love we're on you. target. Yay. Yeah, Yay. that is great. Well, this week we're reading chapters 20 through 28 Mm. through the theme of vulnerability. And I was wondering if you had a story Mm. for us. Oh, good old vulnerability, Mm. hey? We love a bit of vulnerability. (laughs) I thought I'd talk about a journey that I've had with vulnerability. And I'm going to start with the definition of vulnerability, which, according to Google, Captain Google, is the quality or state of being exposed to the possibility of being attacked or harmed, either Mm. physically or emotionally. Now, I've spoken before on this podcast about my journey of mental health and, you know, it's not something I'm necessarily afraid of talking about. I talk about it all the time. I suggest people go to therapy all the time. I'm not ashamed of any of my struggles that I've had. That's why I talk about it, Mm -hmm. right? But that wasn't always the case. 
So when I had my first real bad depression, I was 14 years old. Um, I was really, really struggling. And I've spoken to my mum about this in retrospect, you know, with years behind us. And she's like, yeah, you know, I knew that you were struggling, but I didn't want to go and get a diagnosis because I didn't want people to judge you or for it to hold you back in the future. Mm. So basically she didn't want to leave me vulnerable, right? She didn't want to add this stigma to me, this quantifiable thing that's been written down in paper that she believed would make me vulnerable. So there's no blame on my mum for this. I think she did the best that she could with the information that she had. You know, grew up in a different time where I think mental health was very stigmatised and in a lot of ways still is stigmatised. But I think even much like rhetoric around queer culture, we've actually come a long way in the way we talk about mental health in the last two decades even, for like sure. the last 20 years. Yeah. Um, And you know, that's... You know, I struggled. I'm not going to lie about that. It was a real hard time for me. And along the way, I sort of found other people who also had mental health struggles. I think all of my friends in some way or another, I think we just find each other, right? It's like how neurodivergent people always find each other. It's (laughs) people who understand your anxieties or your depression or anything that you might be struggling with in some way. You recognize it. And yeah, and I think also because, you know, I found... I became really active in like the emo subculture for a while there. Yeah. And I think that really also helped because a lot of depressed people in there are not like, that's just facts. But also <laughs> the music dealt with a lot of mental health stuff. Yeah. A lot of songs, a lot of bands talking about their own struggles with mental health, which I think also helped make you feel less alone. Like you're not as broken as the normal quote unquote people might make you think you are. Yeah. But I still felt like I had to hide my struggles. And, you know, this is up until like 2014. I was in a high stress job. I, you know, really struggled with perfectionism, really struggled with depression, really struggled with anxiety. Didn't feel like I could be honest about that or talk to anyone about it. I lived in a country where I didn't really have friends at that point. I was very lonely, very isolated in those feelings. And it became really, really hard until one of my friends eventually sat me down and she was like, you aren't coping and you need to go talk to someone, right? And like that first therapy step is always the hardest one because it feels like a personal failing. But, you know, I did take that step and she actually sat in the room with me when I called up to try and make an appointment because she had done that herself. And like, that's a moment of vulnerability on her part to be like, I've done this thing and I think it will help you to also do this thing. And yeah, like that didn't work out. You know, I've spoken before about how important it is to A, find the right therapist, but also the right kind of therapy that works for you. So that was just like a counseling session. It didn't work. I tried again, tried again multiple times until eventually I found something that worked for me. But every time it became a little bit easier and every time it became a little bit easier to talk about what I was going through and feel less like it was a personal failing and more just a fact. And I vividly remember like once I was seeing my my boss level therapist, my final therapist, (laughs) about you know I would schedule these appointments during work time I was going every thought night and I would go at 4 p.m and it got to the point where I would just get up from my desk and be like okay I'm going to therapy and then I'd leave and people were like oh my gosh I can't believe that you're just you're just saying that you're going to therapy I'm Mm -hmm. like but that's where I'm going if you were going to the doctor you would say like I'm going to the doctor if you're going to the dentist you would just say that like there's nothing different about me going to a therapist right and I started talking about why I was in therapy and like how I was coping with that and people would ask me questions and that would be fine and people would be like oh my gosh you're so brave I'm like I don't feel brave like I don't this is just a fact of my life this is just a part of who I am I don't Mm -hmm. feel judged for it I'm very happy to just talk about it and you know now I have friends at work who are similarly inclined to 
depression, all these things. Like I have come a long way in my journey. They're all going on their own journeys. But being able to openly talk about it, I think has made such a difference. And like, I have one particularly close friend at work and we talk about it all the time, make jokes about it, being like, haha, my last serotonin cannot get me through today. You know, like all that sort of thing. And we have a friend, a new friend at work who would like, whisper whisper being like oh are you are you on ssris like are you on antidepressants like oh my gosh and <laughs> they would be like i'm on antidepressants like real like low-key yeah and we like my friend and i would look at each other and be like why are we hush hushing this but okay you're on your own journey so this person did not want other people to know that they were in any way mm-hmm. going through something and now the three of us we talk about it all the time hey, i love it and I think that's been a six month journey that that has happened, but creating a safe space by talking about it, by normalizing it, by being not secretive, by not making it a thing, you know, by being vulnerable about my own things, allowing myself to be vulnerable. I create an environment where other people can also find strength in their vulnerabilities. Yeah. And it made me think of a quote from Brene Brown. So she's done a lot of work on vulnerability, right? And she says, owning our... Owning our story can be hard, but not nearly as difficult as spending our lives running from it. Embracing our vulnerabilities is risky, but not nearly as dangerous as giving up on love and belonging and joy, the experiences that make us the most vulnerable. Only when we are brave enough to explore the darkness will we discover the infinite power of our light. Vulnerability sounds like truth and feels like courage. Truth and courage aren't always comfortable, but they're never weakness. Mm. And I think that is so important that by just allowing yourself to feel something... And to show that to other people, you can create a space for them where they can also feel okay in doing that. And I'm not saying it's not a risky thing. It 100% is a risky thing. But I think that's why it's important to do it when you're in a place of strength. Like, Mm. I am very comfortable in who I am. I'm very comfortable in the journey I've been on. Don't really care if someone thinks that's a weakness. Don't really care about other people's opinions. So I appreciate not everyone is in that position. Mm -hmm. But it's only by being vulnerable that I think you can get to that place of acceptance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, that's really lovely and that's so great and it is absolutely how I felt about it too like can't tell anybody I'm getting help and then like now I'm like the therapy evangelist like go forth and get yourself a therapist <laughs> go forth and see about SSRIs whatever works for you like try it I mean I'm really a throw it all at the wall and see what sticks kind of person because I have to be you have to be when you're hurting mm-hmm. and you're right that the first step is definitely the hardest like I've someone very close to me is going through something similar at the moment and I just really want to help but I just don't want to hover as well because that can be a problem Mm. for that person so it's like I'll just be here if you need me but I will be busy but if you need me I will drop everything like like, it's hard to thread that needle I'm available but yeah I'm not pushing I'm just I'm like supportive I'm like a wall you can lean on if you need but like you don't have to be in the same room as the wall but the wall is still there so it can be really it's hard also being vulnerable and like trying to help people that's something that I really struggle with because I can see where people need help but it's like you just need to go and do this one thing I've done this one thing and they're like well maybe work for you but it won't work for me it's good yeah that's a big one right and we also have to accept that that could be true like what works for me might not work for someone else but sometimes i'm just like but just try you won't know until you try exactly like why are you being stubborn about it if it won't work then you have nothing to lose right 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 (laughs) oh well not everyone can be convinced but i am proud of you and i'm proud of your friend as well for you know going from the whispering about it to being like open that's really that's really it's so good that she has you guys to lean on and it's great that she's feeling comfortable with that 
I know, empowering. Empowering. Own own your vulnerabilities. That's they great. just make you more interesting. You have to find your people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, shall I do the chapter summaries? Yes, please. All right. So, in this section, Simon is being very brave and is totally surviving his vulnerability hangover. Baz is on cloud nine, despite being put in a position where he has to tell Simon about the dodgy chosen one things that are happening. Penny decides she's too much of a mess to help Shepard and tries to send him home, but she just can't quite let him go without solving his problems. They decide <laughs> to keep tackling the whole demon-owned soul thing. Neve and Agatha run an errand to Watford. Agatha has some surprising success with magicking a goat to follow her back to, follow her back to the school. Simon and Baz go to visit Lady Ruth and discover she's the most delightful person in the entire world of mages. Yes, I'm editorializing. And they learn more <laughs> about Jamie, her missing son, and that she is firmly Team Simon. She is glad they've come to see her, too. Aww. Love Lady Ruth. Lady Ruth! I love Lady Ruth so much. Every time she pops up in this section, in the series, I'm like, oh, here she is! Here she is! My favorite! <laughs> she's like goals! I want to be in a house with otters carved into the woodwork that have fairy wings (laughs) and give everybody ridiculous cakes that i bake all day that is ideal amazing yes i really want to talk about how when she meets simon he has this expectation like he's going in very vulnerably to her like he wants to help but he knows he can't do anything quote because he has no magic that's this is what he thinks and then you know he's she says, are you really him? Did you really kill the mage? And he's like, oh, great, here it comes. But he, he's not, yeah. like, he's feeling very vulnerable, but, he, but he's still honest. He says, yes, I did. And then she hugs him and she starts crying. And she's like, thank you, you're a hero. And my whole <laughs> heart just goes, boom. I love that Simon's like, did all rich people hate the mage? <laughs> like, is this a rich people thing? <laughs> and Baz is like, yeah, good on her, good on her. Like, I yes. agree. <laughs> I just think it's beautiful the way they all get along immediately. So there's this great clicking moment of where, you know, Simon says, you can call him Baz. And she looks at Baz and says, is that so? And he says, yes, you can. Like, she's checking in with the person whose nickname she would be using, which is just such a great moment. And then they both have the same thought. Like, um, Simon's like, oh, can't wait to get this coat off to show my wings. And she goes, and mm. Baz is like a little indignant. He thinks, you look very smart in that coat. And she says, you look very smart in that coat. Yeah. <laughs> she also like, she, you know, she asks if she can touch his wings even as she is touching them. But then she immediately pulls back when she sees it makes him uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, she's very empathetic. Yeah, she's open and she's curious, but she's not pushy, I would say. Yeah. And I think the vulnerability she displays as well in going to the coven with this problem like she's lost one child yeah. right to some scandal and gossip yep and now she, her, her son's gone missing a son who the world of mages has basically outcast because he doesn't have enough yeah. magic and the, yeah and then she goes to the coven and she basically gets laughed out of the room it's just really horrible yeah there's a there's a there's something there about the vulnerability of people like jamie salisbury who Mm. don't have enough magic to be paid attention to and they fall through the cracks and it's just such a brilliant metaphor for disability queerness like you could really just stick any any marginalized identity onto that map it maps you could map it onto that that metaphor of like i don't belong entirely in this community so i have been shut out of this community and when she's describing his learning disorder and Simon's like, oh, I sympathize. The same thing is happening to me, too. And we're all like, come on, buddy, get it, get it. But, you know, it, there's this empathy that he has with like, yeah, I really understand that he couldn't read very well. And he really struggled with reading out loud. And it's very hard for him to do magic. So he 
and you know she's describing he built up this um, this behavioral block and then he couldn't do it and i thought he'd let it go yeah. like the whole time she's talking about it i'm just yelling like here's a vulnerable person that has been left out to dry like no one has looked after this guy the world of mages is just gone. Yeah. not good enough out you go yeah that's the expectations from the society yeah. right being like this is what we expect of you and if you can't meet that standard then you're out but also i think lady ruth is right in the sense that he sort of gives up like jamie yeah. gives up on trying because he it, it's not good enough you know mm-hmm. quote unquote it doesn't meet the expectation so why would he even try he can't even get into the school right like so why even bother with the cleaning spells or learning all these things he's never gonna li- ma- live up to it or match up to what he's supposed to be yeah but sometimes you know and i say this as someone who really struggles with doing things i'm not very good at but sometimes it is in the practice that you do get better and you do actually find a niche or you find a way to learn that you didn't know before and that's the way you need it it's like you need to persist sometimes right but when you aren't given an opportunity to see that that path how do you know it's there you don't yeah you know the more we learn about this family and how how much they loved lucy and how lucy was really like the best of all of them that's how everyone describes her as like this incredible wonderful person i think there's a little bit of a loss of agency with that which i'd like to touch on later but um loss of lucy's agency on that but Mm -hmm. there seems to be this idea that like jamie wanted so much to be like her but because he couldn't he couldn't get past these things these blocks of his you know his vulnerability was almost too overwhelming for him and it it made him i think also like this expectation that he was failing it also made him vulnerable to other things like he was preyed upon he was radicalized to these chosen one charlatans and you know there's a there's a point which i think is quite interesting where she's rattling off all of these conspiracy theories and then like one of them happens to be correct and baz is like Ooh, that was right <laughs> and it's but this is the problem yeah. with conspiracy theories right like sometimes some of them are correct like some of the outlandish things are correct but they do prey upon the vulnerable yeah and we see this now with like We've seen it firsthand with all this COVID stuff and yep. vaccine skepticism that preys on people who have already been left behind by society a lot of the time. Yeah. It's people who have been disenfranchised for various reasons or, you know, who've suffered at the hands of the government previously due mm-hmm. to colonization and all sorts of like race relation theories. Why would they trust you? What possible oh, yeah. reason have you given them to trust you? I mean, if yeah. it's it's hard to look at science and be like, science also gave you phrenology once upon a time. So, you know, like you could, I can yeah. see where that would really interplay. You would really be like, eh. But then again, like this, this particular point about, you know, there is one thing in that screed of various conspiracy theories that was correct. I, I just thought like, well, yeah, but a stopped watch is right twice a day. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, mean yeah. that it's working and it's correct. So, but it's hard when you're like so hopeful and you're expecting or you're wishing for a change you want to be better at something it's hard to like discern but that's also the thing like that's the thing about conspiracy theories as well right like it comes from a point of wanting to feel like you're in control Mm -hmm. the reason they proliferate in modern society is because all these big things are happening which we do not have any control over people are scared they can't control it to believe that they have information that other people don't have is what gives them control and power yeah and i think yeah it's really interesting that we see this with like people being preyed upon in the world of majors people who don't have a lot of magic and smith smith richards are saying i can unlock your potential i can unlock your magic because this is the thing that has kept them out of society this is the thing that has othered them and made them vulnerable 
So of course, when someone says, "Hey, I can, I can take away your vulnerabilities," you're gonna be like, "Yeah, sign me up." You want to believe? Oh my god, he's the fad diet guru. One hundred percent. He's yeah. like paleo. Come and join. <laughs> he's paleo. He's keto. He's Atkins diet. I can give you what you want, and I can do it with minimal effort on your behalf. Like, and mm-hmm. it's gonna be basically instant. Like, that's the three things that you need, right? Or the other ones didn't work, but mine will. So you get caught into yeah. the cycle again of like, it will work this time. But the truth is like, uh, it's never going to work because it's not you. It's like, not it's nothing to do with your willpower or your ability or anything. It's like physiology literally is beyond you. And this is what's happening here too. Like, yeah, maybe he's just, and like, I love that his mom actually says that. I love that Lady Ruth. She says to Simon Abaz, he's not broken. I tried telling him he's not broken. Yeah. Like there's nothing wrong with him some people just don't have it and there's nothing wrong with that like she's very confident about his worth as a person but i think when you're yeah when you have it it's hard for the people who don't you don't really see the perspectives of the people who don't which is something that baz is kind of realizing like oh i never thought that magic mattered that much to daphne but maybe i was wrong like he's starting to clue into the fact that actually this is something she feels judged by all the time by other people and because he isn't part of that He has this privilege that other people are vulnerable in a way that he's never had to consider. And Simon has found that vulnerability, right? Like he had so much magic Mm. and now he has none. So he's coming at it from this new perspective where he's like, yeah, I get it. They don't get it, but I get it. Like, yeah. yeah. And also he never had control Mm. of his magic anyway. It never felt like his. Like Mm. he could never make it work the way he wanted it to work. But that's again, I think just because of the expectations of the world, like Mm. it's, trying to teach people in a way that doesn't work for them. I think if Simon had a more holistic teaching style, instead of trying to force him to use magic this way that has been ordained, he would have had more luck in controlling his magic, but people were just trying to tell him how to be. And this is the thing, it comes down, all of this is a fundamental flaw in the world of mages, Mm -hmm. where it's like, if you don't fit this expectation, we're not going to support you and we're not going to find a way, a place for you. And that's what allows these charlatans to come in and proliferate. Yeah. It's preying on the vulnerable. Yeah. There's so many great moments of vulnerability in this section. I think Penny being vulnerable with Shepard is one of the things that really strikes me. She's she's in a real state, actually. She's like refusing to help Simon, even though she would have loved and jumped at this like a week ago, she would have jumped at this chance. She's like, nope you said and i am holding up your boundaries um then she she's trying to explain to shep that she can't help him because she's a mess and she she says the day before we met i got dumped by someone who had apparently dumped me multiple times i was just too thick to figure it out that's hugely vulnerable for her to be like no i am a mess i can't make it work i'm not that great and i love that shep is just like uh i don't think we're seeing the same person here because you're pretty amazing yeah i think it's interesting as well that she is so doubling down on this like nope this is what simon said he Mm -hmm. wanted because she describes being dumped by him and she's like i'm not making the same mistake again i'm not doing a micro with simon he said he's dumping me i'm moving on that's a great point i hadn't thought of it that way but yeah you're you're absolutely right she's i think she just doesn't want to put herself in that position of vulnerability again which is fair enough i wouldn't either and then simon's vulnerability as well where he's saying you know he's said more things in the last 10 hours that he thought he could ever say and you know i would rather have died than put that into words he says and like he's Mm. following baz around with his heart in his hands like that vulnerability when you're first in love with someone Mm -hmm. is the bit i hate the most but (laughs) some people really enjoy for some reason 
psychopaths. No, it's the worst. Um, I was talking to my sister who just, you know, she said to me the thing that I'd always felt was like, she said, I don't want to date. I just want to be married. And I was like, oh, I get it. I completely get it. Like, that is it. You just want to be at that level already with someone that you care about, that you're willing to put the time in with, that you, like, know you're both committed to seeing it through. Yeah, we all want to be there. Being willing to be at that same part. Like, I think that Simon is so brave for still being there. I just want to give him a big hug and be like, you are doing good work, buddy. Yeah, and, like, Baz was vulnerable with him as well, I think, in the previous section. And that vulnerability, like I say, begets vulnerability. By being vulnerable, you allow space for it, like... And even Baz taking him hunting, right, which Simon's so jazzed about, (laughs) is such a vulnerable thing for Baz, because this is the thing that he is most scared about. Mm, Like, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love that Baz is so annoyed. It's just like, it's just like whenever you're with a person and they like have bodily functions and you're like, oh, you have a bodily function. They're like, don't even look at me. Like, we all do these things. We all have to eat. We all have to go to the bathroom. It's just part of living. People get so hung up about it. I think it's hilarious. I have very gross children, so I like nothing can phase me these days. I'm just like, eh, I've seen it. <laughs> I think Neve shows some vulnerability as well because she yeah. admits that she's wrong. She mm-hmm. admits that Agatha's right. She doesn't have a bedside manner and she feels like she did the wrong thing with Simon, right? That's being vulnerable. Yeah. I love Neve in that moment, but then she kind of uh, screws it up later when she is not listening to Agatha who is saying like no I was like literally kidnapped multiple times and she's like yeah sure Jan um which really bothers me because Agatha's in this really vulnerable place at that time like she doesn't want to be back at Watford she kind of got stuck doing it out of politeness which is something she promised she would never do again but here she is um and she doesn't want to have to explain that she was like legitimately kidnapped all of those times and it was really actually traumatizing and awful because she's sarcastic and like talking about it would mean feeling it and she just is not interested in feeling it yeah i found it really interesting that you know agatha will say oh ebb's goats and neve would say ebb petty is dead she says it twice Mm. i'm like why are you doing this (laughs) i know it's really interesting it's part of my in-depth actually that that whole discussion because it is quite blunt and it made me think like i mean a because you know I'm neurodivergent. I'm like, that reads to me as somebody who is like, I will tell you the facts. The emotional resonance that it has for you maybe doesn't matter. But like, here's the fact. Hmm. But I kind of wonder why she has to keep saying it. Like, why is she reminding herself? Why is she reminding Agatha? Like, Agatha knows. Like, Eb literally sacrificed herself to save Agatha. So... Yeah, like, I completely get why she would say it the first time, because maybe she doesn't know that Agatha was there. Like, she doesn't know Agatha was present. Like, yeah. why would Agatha know this information, right? But to repeat it again at the end of the section to be like, Eb Petty is dead. Like, okay. Why are you saying this like some sort of weird prophecy thing? <laughs> I yeah. don't know what's happening. Yeah. I mean, I, lo- I love that Agatha is like, this isn't going to work. And then she casts a nursery rhyme. And she's just so confident it's not going to work. But then it really does. It works for her. And Neve is impressed. And she says, that was really great. That was really tidy bit of magic. I would have never thought of that. I'm too literal. And I was like, yes, you are too literal. You are very literal. You're an extremely literal person. Um, Can we also just, uh, on a slight tangent, talk about how Agatha is so into her and cannot even describe it? Like, she's... (laughs) She's mesmerized by all her frowns. She talks about her amazing thighs when they realize they were on the same lacrosse team, like Agatha, honey. I love that because (laughs) that just is the same as Simon being obsessed with Baz's legs when he was playing soccer and he's like, keeps mentioning it. And now (laughs) Agatha's like, these thighs, you can eat dinner off them or serve tea on them or whatever it was. (laughs) All right. 
Go for it. Like, you idiots have no idea what a crush is, and it's so cute. And I love when she's like, could she really only be that old? Like, has she made so many bad skincare decisions already? It's so funny. <laughs> the only skincare you ever need to do is sunscreen. Sorry. Just... I disagree. I disagree. Fundamentally. Do you have a skincare regime? I use, like, one yeah. thing on my... You do? For real? Yeah, like... Seven steps during the week and ten steps on the weekend. What? I did not know this about you. I don't even wash my face every day. I have had a skincare routine since the age of 12. My mum got me started early. You do have amazing skin. There you go. <laughs> but I don't do anything to my skin and it's pretty good too, so I don't know. You've got great skin, yeah. I guess I inherited it from my mum. Thanks, mum. I also got her legs. They're amazing. You also drink a lot of water. Yeah, I'm very well hydrated. That helps. That makes a difference. Yeah, drink water and uh, sunscreen. That's the only thing I'm really religious about these days. Yeah, so Agatha has judgment, has a bit of judgmental uh, skincare opinions. I just think it's because Neve's outside with animals all the time. She's probably just like wind blown and a little sunburned. Yeah, she's an outdoorsy kind of person. Yeah, she's outside and she's like ruddy and that's great. And like when she's trying to make sure that Agatha's not going to be sick, she's sitting there. What's that great? You know, she, she looks at her red-faced and unhappy. And, like, Agatha's clocking all of her emotions so intuitively. And all of her frowns. Yes. <laughs> How many frowns does this woman have? I love it. So great. It is great. I thought that Shepard was very kind to Penny. I thought that there was a lot about, you know, he had he had actually come to London with the expectation that at the very least things would be interesting. And they were. So he wasn't really let down by the fact that he couldn't be helped. But I like that he was still willing to stick around for longer. Yeah, and he gets her food and stuff. Like, he's looking out for her. <laughs> Even though she sort of just let him sitting around. You know? She's like, why does my house smell like a Greg's? Why are there so many sandwiches? I just love his entire running commentary. I love that he's excited about the sandwiches and she goes, do you mean Pret? And I will just say, Pret is one of the things. We talk about this at work a lot. All of us who've lived in the UK, we're like, we, our kingdom for a Pret. Like, honestly, you do not know how good you have it if you live in the UK and you have access to a pret. You don't understand. They're so good. Okay, so explain pret to me because I never went to one. Oh, it's just a... Ca- <laughs> this is the thing. It's like just like a chain, like a Starbucks, mm-hmm. right? They sell coffee. They do things. But they've got lots of great food, actually. And, like, easy, cheap, relatively cheap, like, cr- hot food, like croissants and sandwiches or just, like, cookies. Just, like, bakery-type food. But mm-hmm. also, you know, wraps. Like, good wraps. I just used to have, like, office lunches there. Like, it was an easy office lunch to go okay. and grab. Compared to what we have access to here, which is nothing like that exists, where you can get, like, a decent wrap. Also, when I was just in the UK, they now have a monthly coffee subscription, basically, where I think you pay an X amount and your coffees are free. You can get up to five coffees a day. You've paid for them in advance. Which, if I lived there now, would be insane. Like, five coffees a day. Yeah, sign me up. That That would would save me so much money. That's a good, that's, yeah, I would love that. Honestly, if I, because like I, sometimes I'll do a tab at my local cafe and like that way I'm just like, okay, this is how much I'm spending on cafe stuff for the month. But this is good too. I like that this is an option for places. Not having to think about it. Yeah, it's really, and every time I went to Pret, which is a lot, because like I said, it's convenient and Mm. free Wi-Fi and plugs, which is another thing that cafes in New Zealand don't have. Um, I could just loiter in a prep for ages and that was fine. They would be like, do you want a subscription? Do you have a subscription? I'm like, listen, there's nothing in the world I want more than a subscription. But I- Yeah, oh, that sounds great. 
honestly. So, you know, those of us who are deprived of prep really value prep. So I'm just saying, I know it's not the best, but you should appreciate it while you have it. That is lovely. That does sound nice. I like anywhere with plugs where you can sit. Like, I don't want to go back to... Uh, like having a restaurant you can go to is nice but like having a cafe where they don't hustle you out fantastic i miss that i just i know we just don't have that here at all like i'm still on a quest like i can go sit in a bar but that's not the same vibe no and it's like you want something that's across between a library and a coffee shop yeah and i don't want it to be posh because i don't like if it's like a posh nice place they will hustle you out like no one cares if you're sitting in a starbucks for four hours the people who work there do not care no. They don't care that you bought one coffee six hours ago and you're still there. Like, they don't care. They're only upset if you leave a mess behind you, right? Like, that's... Yeah. And even then, it's just like, how bad is the mess, really? Is there fecal so... matter on the floor? That's when they start to get agitated. <laughs> this is the love... Like, I mean, I want... I am with you. I want to have somewhere I can go. And I want somewhere that's open late so I can go at, like, 10 o'clock at night and sit for an hour and do some work. Which is great about that place we used to do our writing thing with, but that was very expensive. <laughs> Yeah, City Extra. Yeah, it was expensive. Tourist locales. I know. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, Shepard's expectations, I agree with you. He is just so chill about it. But she also has expectations of herself that she can't let go of, right? She wants to be the helper. And she has this expectation that she can only do it when she has other people around. And she's like, oh, fine, I'll try by myself. And he's like, you're not by yourself. I'm here. Yeah. And that's lovely. I mean, he's already found in his, like, conversation that he was out in London for a day. He's already found either orcs living downstairs from her. Like, Penny is great, but she's really got this, like, myopic focus on the world of mages. And Shepard has just not ever been allowed in. So he's turned his attention to literally everything else. So he's able to suss out all of these incredible magical creatures and people who Penny would just not even know existed. And we see him doing this later. Like, he builds this network in, like, five days flat or something. And it's Penny's just like, what is going on? What is happening? Who are they? How do you know? And he just beats one person and keeps going. I love how kind he is as well. Like, he's always yeah. kind to Penny. He's very kind about, like, you know, he says to her, you were the first person who gave me any hope of getting my soul back. And in doing that... He gives yeah. her a purpose. He gives her a job, which she also needs. Yeah. Like, he can also see that she needs that to get out of this funk, right? Like, and through yeah. this kindness. He's just been himself. He's a delight. He is a delight. Um, I do think I want to flag that he's not being vulnerable with her because we don't find out exactly mm. what his demon soul thing is yet. Like, we know what it is, but he hasn't really come clean with Penny yet. Um, Yeah. And I love when he says that because she says to him, you know, how did this happen and he's like you know how it happens and she's like you haven't really told me right he basically says that you're just going to judge me and make fun of me and she's like you know that's why he doesn't tell her because he doesn't feel like he can be vulnerable with her because she has been quite dismissive of him up until Mm. this point and I think he does like her as well and he does want her to like him yeah so he's like this is just another thing that she's gonna think I am silly about yeah is it the bit about it's impossible to think without being critical and judgmental. Yeah. Page 152. Yeah. yeah. Shepard, it's impossible to think without being critical and judgmental. That's literally the process. The way you do it, yes, that's his rejoinder. I'm actually with Penny on this one. <laughs> like, I agree. You have to have some critical thought and, like, some judgment. And it doesn't mean that it has to be negative. Like, critical and judgmental does not mean... I mean, I know it, it skews negative. But, like, if you're being critical of something, it means you're taking it apart to look at it. And if you're using judgment, then, like, it means you're... To me, using judgment is like using it as like a basis, 
your own experience as a basis for like evaluating mm. a situation or a circumstance. Yeah. I just love this expectation of behavior that she has of him where she just assumes that everything he does is like bad judgment and <laughs> idiotic and something she wouldn't approve of. Yeah. Which he directly says to her on page 173, right? Like, just assume I'm doing something you wouldn't approve of. And I look back at him. That's a safe bet. And he winks at her and goes, I know. Like, yeah. And like, he's like, so will you cute. text me occasionally to, uh, yeah. to tell me how to wrong of text. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because he doesn't want to lose track of her because he's so into her, which I think is so cute. And she just is not able to acknowledge how into him she is. So this is a bit of a tangent, but on page 150, <laughs> this you will love this. You'll know exactly why I'm pulling this out. <laughs> she says, look, I'm not blind. Shepard's got a lovely smile, warm and wide, full brown lips and a hint of dimples. But he uses it on absolutely everyone for every occasion. I refuse to be affected by it. <laughs> Who is that? Me. Oh, it's also Kath. It is Kath. Yeah, she won't be uh, impressed by Lincoln because he's like, Levi, gives it away yeah. freely, right? Yeah. yeah, he gives that smile oh, Levi, away. Yeah. Like, it's it costs him nothing. And she's like, it would cost me something. I just love it so much. I love that. Love that parallel. Yeah. This is what happens when your best friend is a hopeless chosen one and a moody vampire. Like, this is what happens. You're around people who don't smile. Um, speaking of the... A moody vampire. I just mm. remembered that bit where Baz is talking about his family tree and then he stops himself because he's like, literally no one cares about this except me. And he turns around and Simon is just like really into him talking about his family. And I love that vulnerability. Baz, you're Italian? Yeah. But that vulnerability to like yeah. share something that you're really into. And then just also just like how Baz, this is the connection that he has with his family. Like this is how he gets that pitch connection, right? Yeah. Like this is all he has. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting that he talks about how his family married for power and Deb's family married for money. Like the, the two branches of that that family, that's how they married. I thought that was really interesting mm. that he acknowledges that. And then he's like, well, but this line is a dead end. And he's like, I'm not doing either of those things. One of the things I find really interesting about this expectation is that Baz still hasn't really worked through all of his prejudices about people who aren't magical like he still thinks Daphne is very weak mm -hmm, he mm -hmm, uses mm -hmm. a lot of like almost pejorative descriptors when he's talking about her but then like Simon not having his magic he's like fine with he's fine with it and yeah. it's very much the not you because I know you but other people who are in this category which is something I think yeah. he needs to work on and also because he thinks Simon's fulfilled his prophecy right and I love that that expectation of prophecy as well when Simon's like "Why? this is not a basis for a society it's basically the peasant from Monty Python and the <laughs> yes. Holy Grail it's like this is no basis for a system of government yes Watery and they're like but handing out swords yeah <laughs> Baz is like but this is Watford was founded on a prophecy and Simon's like where did you re learn that at Watford and he's like that's a circular <laughs> argument I love that I love mm -hmm. that Simon's like, maybe this, because he's now questioning so much yeah. because of his experience. Yeah, yeah. He's suddenly being like, maybe this society isn't 100% amazing, correct all of the time. I can't trust anything, which is fair enough because he's basically been deprogrammed. Well, and also, look, I think there was a duty of care to the chosen one that they completely dropped the ball on. The world of mages dropped the ball on it. And yeah. Lady Ruth sort of obliquely mentions that, like, the coven has no idea what they're doing. Like, they're still mining the depths of the corruption that happened under Davy. Mm. And she doesn't even know when they'll get to the bottom of that. So she understands that they're busy. But, like, there's something more to it where, like, the immediate needs were not taken care of. Like, the people who were hurt were not looked after. And I sort of feel like um, Premal, who we talked about last section, is in that category as well. Like, he's a casualty of this. 
and Simon is a casualty of this and like they're trying to fix the system but they're ignoring the people yeah and she also makes that point Lady Ruth on page 197 that no one has five minutes of institutional memory and this is such an important thing that people don't think about it you see this in restructures all the time yep when they lay off like people who've been there forever and then you know three months later they're like wait how does this system work and it's like we don't know because you fired the only people who knew yep so enjoy that good times yes my my partner is the institutional memory for the area that he works in and i think that has kept him there for a long time because he knows that he's like a huge resource because he has everything written down from the last 20 years of his job and like what happens if that goes away what happens if they decide that that's not an asset a lot of things will fall over it definitely makes change and reformation difficult like you know they're trying to reform the coven they're trying to figure out what the the corruption is and all these things but they don't have the institutional knowledge in a lot of ways so how can you tell like it just makes it so much more difficult yeah absolutely and the people who would be the best at it are not the ones who are trying to do it i think in my opinion yeah i agree there's the bit where they're talking about power on page 176 where simon and baz are cuddling and he says why would anyone want to be the chosen one? And Baz is like, it's obviously the power. He shook his head against mine. There's no power, he says, his voice low. I didn't know what to say to that. Simon could have ruled the world of mages with his power. He could have ruled the world. And like, he never actually wanted to, mm. which meant that he was kind of perfect for the job. Yeah. Because he just wanted to save everyone. Like that was always his job was to save everyone. But he also never felt like he had any agency right that's why he yeah. says there was no power because he wasn't in control of anything he did he didn't choose his missions he just went where he was pointed did what he was told right yeah and then left the map as soon as he turned his back on the mage exactly yeah as he so says. there is no power in that just because he f- had the magical power doesn't mean that there was any actual power absolutely there's the the line that leadership is about submission to duty not um, elevation to power that i think about a lot like when you're in a position of leadership, what does that actually mean? And it's like, it's always about serving the constituency. <laughs> like, that's what it needs to be about. It can't be about what's go- this going to do for me. It's what can I do for for them? That's always the best leaders are the ones who are doing it for other people and who don't want the power themselves. That's why career politicians are no good. Because if you're only in it because it's a career, mm, yeah, that is fundamentally flawed. You need to be able, you need to want to make change and want to serve people and make the world a better place. Like, I know that sounds naive but that is just factually correct like those are the best people you want in leadership you don't want people who are there for a paycheck you should be looking at the people who need help and helping them yeah absolutely davy was literally not that person ever no he just wanted to bring in his reforms and fulfill his prophecy which he basically created himself so good times all round yeah he's the worst well, I think that was all I had for expectation. Well, I mean, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Did you have any tangential marginalia? I love that Baz makes that comment on page 179 where he says, what's the difference between miracles and good old-fashioned magic? Mm, me too. Because I often think about this, I talk about this with my mate Sophie a lot when we talk about magic and folklore and all these things. I'm like, well, you know, a lot of things that we consider science now would have been considered magic because they didn't have the words to describe it. And there's so many things that we still don't know about the world that it's not unusual that people still find comfort and, you know, quote unquote magic or whether they want to believe in what the moon does and tarot cards and this, that and the other thing. Like, fine, yeah. because why not? Exactly. Why not? Look, meaning making is huge for people. That's one of the things that we as people do is we make meaning of things. And I think there's a quote 
I really want to say doctor, but I am not sure. But it's something about how technology, sufficiently advanced technology or sufficiently advanced science is indistinguishable from magic. Mm. I'll find that quote and link it in the show notes because I think it actually kind of encapsulates it. Like, what is magic really but something that can't be explained? Yeah. By what yeah. we know. And that's always, we're always getting more knowledge. We're always finding out more things. So there's mm. absolutely no reason to think that we might not one day know, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, um, I, that's the only thing. I just thought Penny and Ship were so funny. Like, Ship, I thought, had lots of great one-liners. And I thought Agatha was quite sassy yes. as well, which I love. When she's like, what am I going to catch this goat with? My giant goat net? Like, so funny. <laughs> I loved that. I love that. She was so annoyed. And she was annoyed to the point of zingers. That's my favorite version of Agatha, when she's, like, actually saying the thing out loud. Yeah. So good. Right. Um, I think the other tangential one I wanted to bring up is that uh, they both recognize, Baz and Simon both recognize the picture of Lucy and they mm, both recognize yeah. her as the weeping portrait in the catacombs, but they don't say that she's the one who weeps because they know it will hurt Lady Ruth. And I just love that they're like protecting her, yeah. this lady that they've just met who loves them. Yeah. Lovely. Poor Lucy. Justice for Lucy. Justice for Lucy. Honestly. Um, did you have an in-depth? I did have an in-depth. So Ooh. it's actually from page 158, which is the Agatha and Neve scene, which I think is also where yours is from. So isn't that interesting mm. that we both chose that chapter? Yes, because we love Neve. We do love Neve. Agatha's just gotten out of the car. She was feeling very stressed and anxious about going back to Watford. Mm-hmm. They're having a conversation. And... Nave is explaining how annoying it basically was to be at Watford at the same time as Simon <laughs> Snow because everything was always about them and their little friends. Yes. And then, you know, Agatha is trying to explain to her that she was... Because Neve is mad that her lacrosse match was cancelled and Neve was like... <laughs> oh, and Agatha's fair. like, that's not my fault. And she's like, you're part of the goings on. And Agatha says, I was kidnapped. <laughs> Neve rolls her eyes very meaningfully, like what I've just said is both irrelevant and ludicrous. I lean towards her again. What was that? Do you not believe I was kidnapped? We all believed you were kidnapped the first time. The first. Are you serious? And Neve holds up her hands. It doesn't matter, Agatha. It's ancient history. I really love this for so many reasons. So I think it's vulnerability because this is actually a really vulnerable thing for Agatha. We know that she really struggles with being a victim. That she doesn't want that yeah. anymore. And now here she has this, mm-hmm. this worldview that she's held about being kidnapped. And she realizes that other people think that, what, she's like just looking for attention? Like, this is a yeah. very vulnerable thing. Yeah. And this expectation, I think, of being challenged as well. Like, realizing that not everyone was drinking the Simon Snow Chosen One Kool-Aid. Like, Neve is just so dismissive of all of this. And subverting the expectation of how Agatha thinks people viewed these adventures I think in that moment mm. as well for whatever reason it really reminded me of Clueless the film um, because Cher has this moment towards the end of the film where she really wants to be taken seriously because she wants to like she's seen the error of her ways you know it's based on Emma so therefore it, I guess it also reminds me of Emma where you know they suddenly come to to face the fact that the way they've been living their lives has had an impact on other people. It's not what they thought it was and they need to change their ways and they're trying to be taken yeah. seriously. But because of who they are, that's a real struggle to kind of reform that view and mm-hmm. reform their own view of the world. Um, 
And I think there's real vulnerability in that as well to be like, oh, okay, this way that I lived my life was perhaps wrong or like the way I viewed the world was wrong and I need to rearrange some facts to get to a better point of view. And I think that is extremely vulnerable and an extremely brave thing to do because yeah. anytime that we admit we're wrong, that's scary, right? Yeah. So I think, yeah, just going forward, be open to other points of view because I'm fascinated by this idea that every time we experience something, we're only experiencing it from our own point of view. Mm-hmm. You know, you and me, we can have a conversation about this and have completely different points of view, right? Which is what makes this podcast so fun and interesting. Mm. Like you can experience the same thing and come out with a different interpretation. So just be open to that. And I think when confronted with new information, be open and curious and not judgmental. So, yeah. yeah. Beautiful. I love that. And I really feel for Agatha there. Oh, man, that would make me so. Yeah. <laughs> also, just to stress, like Agatha should not have to justify the fact like she was 100 percent a victim here. And yeah. for someone to doubt the fact that she's a victim is horrible. But I just find it really funny that Neve was just so sick of all their nonsense. So that's the read I wanted to focus on. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, and fair enough. I think at one point you and I had discussed maybe co-writing a book about like the kids at the school who just had to put up with the superhero kids. Yeah. Like we were like, what about everyone else at like Hunger Games High School? (laughs) Like, yeah, where's just that trying to get through life. Like, yes, exactly. So Patrick Ness wrote a novel called We All We All Just Live Here or something like that, which is about that. Like kids oh, at nice. the school who are just like living their lives while tangentially people are running past them being chased by things and they're all like having lunch, like chill about it. <laughs> so good. It's like everyone anyway. else in Buffy, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Basically. Oh gosh. Um, what was your tangential? My in-depth was on page 155. Oh, that's all right. Uh, Same section. Um, But it's the first discussion of Ebb. So on page 155, Ebb Petty is dead, she says. And wow, this is exactly what I mean about her terrible bedside manner. What if I was a loved one or a friend of Ebb's who hadn't heard? Or what if I was anyone who found this news upsetting in some way? So the context, as you discussed, is that Agatha is at Watford with Neve on an errand. She doesn't even want to be there. And she's just discovered it's about Ebb's goats. And like they've also Mm. discussed previously how bad Neve's bedside manner is because, you know, she's a vet and not a doctor. So it's not great. Um, I think the expectations that Agatha has, she doesn't even want to be there, which I think is she's already expecting it to be terrible because she hasn't gone back to Watford. She knows it's going to be traumatic. It's making her sick already. She does probably also doesn't want to think about Ebb again. Um, and I think that the expectation of anybody talking about Ebb with her would be that they would do it in a gentle way or a kind way and not just be like, mm. oh, this person's dead. Um, so she couches it in this annoyed manner that sideways acknowledges her own trauma. So she's like, what if what if it was what if I was someone who cared? <laughs> and it's like, actually, you do care, Agatha. But she can't make herself be vulnerable. She can't actually like cop to that vulnerability of like no, Eb sacrificed her life for me and mm. I don't want to think about her. And also the goats were hers. Like, you don't need to say it in this horrible way. And, you know, all of this trauma that she's lived through and it's not, it, she has it and it's not being respected. It's not being like acknowledged as being traumatic, which I think is making her feel more defensive. I, I, what it reminds me of is, I'm sorry, I bring up Emily of New Moon. It's another, it's like such a good series. I bring it up a lot, I'm sorry. But in the first part of the book, she's told very insensitively by like a housekeeper that her dad is dying. And he had planned to tell his daughter that night in like a really sensitive way because she's a really sensitive kid. He was going to say like, look, 
I'm going to die. It'll be okay. We have these few weeks together. He's dying of tuberculosis. And, um, but Ellen Green just is like, your dad's dying. And he won't tell you, so I'm going to. Now I've done my duty. And it's like really cold and really horrible. And um, mm. it's it's not considering the person that you're talking to. And I think there's that's what's going on with Neve, right? Is that she's she's saying the thing that is true. She's saying the information that needs conveying, but she's not being considerate of the person she's saying it to. So there's like mm. just a disconnect between like, is the truthfulness necessary? Is this like necessary to say to this person now? Is there another way to convey this information? And I think also her, her what she's conveying isn't particularly clear because we don't know why she repeats it. Like I'm not, as you pointed out, I'm not sure why she says it the second time the way she mm. says it. But I think it's important to to think about that as like maybe this is just how she is conveying information. Like this is just what she's saying. So I think going forward, I just want to flag that being truthful is not always being kind and that there are ways to like be truthful without being unkind. And I think that it's it's good to be mindful of the vulnerability of others and kind of try and check in with them where they're at. I mean, sometimes it's hard to do that, especially when you're having a lot of feelings, but it's always yeah. worth trying. Yeah, definitely good to remember. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Aww. Well, who would you like to spotlight this week? I'm actually going to spotlight Penny this week because I think it's really tough for her to be in this situation and she's really going through it. She feels like her best friend has dumped her Aww. as well as all these other things that she's wrong about and has always been wrong about and just she's really struggling and I think that's a hard thing to wrestle with like yeah I think she is I don't necessarily feel like Simon dumped her but I think that's the interpretation that she's gone with and you know that's fine like that's how she feels and I think there's just a lot of projecting going on from her and her own self-worth and self-belief and that's a really hard thing to struggle with so just wanted to spotlight her how about you uh, I'm going to shout out Lady Ruth. Um, parenting nice. is hard. Parenting a kid with special needs is really hard. Not finding community in the community that you're in while you're trying to do that is just incredibly difficult. And then on top of that, losing people you love is just awful. But then sometimes handsome young boys who are in love come to your house and eat your cake and promise <laughs> to help you and hear you out. I don't know. I just, I really feel very tenderly toward Lady Ruth because I think she's a person who's always trying to do the right thing. Yeah. And I love her for Nice. It. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Um, do you have any homework for our readers? Uh, homework. So, obviously, Heartstopper Season 2 was out, came out yesterday. Yesterday? Amazing. The second, third? I don't know. Sometime this week. So, that's it came out. out. Also, weirdly, weirdly going to recommend Teen Wolf. Which I know is a throwback. Are you watching Teen Wolf I, finally? My well, I, I've I've seen up to season three, but I had to stop because it scared me. Yeah, it was scary. So my housemate and I are watching it, and we've watched it from the beginning. We're now about mm, almost halfway through part one of season three, and I, again, I have to say it's scary, but that's fine. I've got someone in the house with me to watch it with me. I find yeah. it so terrifying. But you know what? It's actually just a really delightfully unproblematic show. Like, it's really actually quite good. I did not expect it to be as good as it is. So thoroughly enjoying it. Yeah, that's yeah. great. It's like popcorn. Just... Yeah, how about you? Do you have homework? Uh, yes, so Heartstopper Season 2 is out. I haven't seen it, but I'm going to love it, I'm sure. Um, just Kit Connor's little face makes my heart so happy. So I look forward to seeing Yay. more of that. Um, and I think the other homework is just... I Like, I want everybody to go outside and just enjoy whatever weather there is it's been so disgusting here it has been hot 
it's winter it should not be hot it's making me feel very worried for the summer but I'm trying to be gentle with myself so I think the homework is go outside and enjoy whatever weather you're in and just be thankful that we still have a world to live in yeah great love that touch grass yeah touch grass (laughs) or whatever moss rocks touch something amazing well okay then next week we'll be reading chapters 29 through 37 through the theme of envy Envy. oh my goodness i know it'll be a fun one thank you so much Mm. i'm so glad we got to pod thank you always a delight can't wait till next week it'll be great i'll see you then see you then Bye. bye thank you for joining us today Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V. We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to hello at marginaliapod.com, check out our Instagram, or maybe dash off a quick review. You can also subscribe so you never miss an episode. Our music is by Scott Buckley, and the logo artwork is by Laura Cato. You can find detailed show notes for each episode and much more at our website www.marginaliapod.com. Special thanks to all the people in our various communities whose love and care sustains us. Without your support, we would be very sad little critters. We appreciate you. And to you, our wonderful listeners, thanks again for being here. We love spending this time with you. 